Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. So Jeff, before we analyse and dissect what happened in the first round of games in the Premier League, your trivia question. Okay, it's, it's quite difficult to express this as a question, but at the end of the season you look at the you look at the league table and you have the played, won, drawn, lost, goals for, goals against and points. Millwall in 1973 and 74 had their end of league table was, if not unique, certainly incredibly rare. Why was that? Alright, that's intriguing. Uh, so we'll find out what Millwall's final statistics one lost, played, all those kind of things in a row, what that meant. So finally, we finally, after seven weeks of break from the Premier League, we had kick-off this last weekend. We watched most of the games and first game of the season was Fulham nil, Arsenal 3. I don't think I was surprised with that. I don't think I really saw anything from Arsenal that made me fear them particularly. What was your impression? Well, I mean, exactly how bad were Fulham? And we're probably not going to know that until we've worked out how good Arsenal were. It was, as you say, it was entirely predictable, although I would have gone for 2-0 to Arsenal. But it's very difficult to know what, what that match means, if anything at all. I certainly don't agree with the, the narrative in the in the press at the moment. They seem to be building Arteta up to be something fantastic and this and the Arsenal team to be something brilliant, but I still don't see it. And, you know, that that's why you play 38 games to find out, isn't it? <laughs> Well, yes, I I tend to agree. I mean, I'm a Tottenham fan, so I suppose, and you're a West Ham fan, so to a similar extent, I don't buy into this thing that how well Arteta's done and what a great improvement on Emery he was. Although, of course, yes, they won two cups, one of them being a shield. Um, And they did beat Fulham, who were playing like a championship team, I thought. They didn't look good. And Arsenal took full advantage, and well done to them. Of course, quite pathetically, all the Arsenal fans on Facebook, we are top of the league, we are top of the league. One game down. Not really much for me to say about Arsenal I think it was an expected win Uh, they took full advantage of Fulham being very poor and I think they're going to struggle this season yeah it's going to be a very long season for Fulham and you know last week when you you asked the question I tipped them to go down along with West Brom and Aston Villa and certainly there was nothing we saw the other day that suggested they'll do do anything at all in in the league well there's another there's another team who may be tipped to go down let's skip a few games and go to one of the late games straight away West Ham beaten at home 2-0 by Newcastle a frightening times for West Ham because they did not look good either talk about Fulham not looking good I was a bit amazed at how bad West Ham were if you put the players from both teams side by side and said who are the best there isn't a player in the Newcastle team that that would get into the West Ham team therefore the problem's got to be the manager but West Ham had no energy they they were second to every single ball they didn't create anything it was it really was a case of they're not playing for the manager now you also have to go and look at the look at the selection they paid 40 million for Sebastian Haller last season now Haller's got a goal uh, goal to game record of one goal every two games which meant that West Ham underpaid for him he's worth much more than 40 million but Haller has always been one of two attackers he's never been a, a sole central attacker and that's exactly how Moyes was playing him so he played him in a position that he doesn't play said oh well he's not very good and then doesn't pick him it's extraordinary so I think the issue is David Moyes rather than the players at West Ham but equally the players have got to play well they look like the Wanderers did for half of last season 11 players who'd never met you know the meet in the car park have a beer in the pub meet in the car park and go and see what you can do on the pitch like a Sunday league team so yeah yeah, they were playing like a Sunday league team who'd all been on the booze the night before and and (laughs) 
<laughs> and had no, no energy and you know no spark of creativity. But uh, th that's not fair. Well, the one exception to that was Suchek, the Czech that that we had on loan for most of or half of last season. He looks the real deal, and he was really putting an effort in. But he was almost alone. Yes, yeah, Suchek, the Czech who you finally signed the Czech for, because <laughs> he was on loan last season. But you have signed him now. I mean, I watched that game, and I, I thought West Ham, as you say, were sluggish, and and they didn't seem to know what they were doing. I think we're going to be looking quite a bit at managers and their effect on their players in this round of games because we'll get to it in a bit but Mourinho also and Bielsa at Leeds you can feel the effect of the managers negatively and positively but Newcastle do you think that because they didn't look too bad they were up for it they look quite good they'll they'll finish if you had to pin me to a number I'd say they'll finish 14th okay fair enough so Newcastle to finish 14th you heard it here first do you think West Ham could possibly finish lower than that then well if they carry on playing like they played in that match they'll be relegated I mean it was it was hapless and hopeless but they are the players are much better than that so either Moyes has got to get his finger out and get them playing or West Ham have got to get a new manager because that was just it was unacceptable really so you say that West Ham should get a new manager if it carries on like that or do you think it should get a new manager now and who should it be they should get a new manager now and um, Eddie Howe Ooh, I thought you were going to say Pochettino or something but obviously he wouldn't take that job with all due respect Eddie Howe despite taking Bournemouth down what What's your thinking behind that? He likes his teams to play football the right way. Attacking football and, you know, defence is a kind of a little bit of an add-on. I mean, that's West Ham football, isn't it? You've got to score score more than the opposition. And I think Eddie Howe will be a great manager for West Ham. The only other one I can think of who a Premier League team must take very, very soon is Gareth Ainsworth, who's who's taken Wickham Wanderers up to the Championship from being almost out of out of business. He's a great manager too. And his, his team... The players love him and they play for him. So someone like that. But Moyes was never the answer. I cannot understand why they why they made him permanent and it's going to end badly. But how or Ainsworth? You definitely probably do need a change of manager to play the West Ham way, as you say. However, the West Ham way that I've watched recently has been running around like headless chickens. Well, when I say running around, not actually running around, obviously, but I'm strolling around because it did look pretty bad. But Newcastle, very much like Arsenal, took full advantage of the failings at West Ham, I thought. There is a rumour of a new signing from Burnley that's protracted and going on. And a new rumour today is Rob Holding on loan. Give us your insights into both those. I, su I suspect they're connected in the way that uh, Sullivan and Gold have got a long track record of leaking to the press that they're after this big player and then failing to get them and saying, oh, we couldn't agree personal terms, which is newspaper speak for the player wanted too much money. And I think they wanted Holding all along, and I really don't understand why. I mean, Holding, you know, if a player is so conspicuously not good enough for the Wanderers, then West Ham shouldn't be buying him either. I don't rate Holding as a defender. Tarkowski is an excellent defender and should be in the England squad and 30 million for him is a steal and West Ham should pay it but I don't believe that Golden Sullivan ever had any intention of, of buying him so you think it's just something to placate the fans because yeah personal terms means how much he's going to get paid it doesn't mean use of the comfy chair on a Tuesday does it so yeah that, obviously that's a that's a smoke screen for not signing anybody and you wouldn't be happy with Rob Holding so yeah we don't we don't think the future is that bright for West Ham at the moment uh, unfortunately uh, another team uh, that surprised us I think a little bit at the weekend there were a couple of teams that surprised us but I think we predicted Southampton to beat Crystal Palace because they were very bad in the last 10 games of last season uh, they didn't win a game in the last 10 <laughs> 
last season and yet the only goal of the game scored, scored by Wilfred Zaha who just before the game his manager Hodgson said he was surprised nobody bid for Crystal Palace won Southampton nil what did you make of Palace because actually I thought they, they actually looked a lot better than they had done yeah they look they look quite good uh, they've always been solid in defence with a with a very good tackling midfield that, that helped to protect the defence their problem has been scoring goals and usually when Zaha plays they look a lot better and that, that was that was the case last weekend he he took his goal extremely well. The, the way he took that volley, it's a very difficult volley to make, and most most players put it over the bar. Took it very well, and Palace looked quite good. So I would think Palace will be closer to the relegation positions than they were this season, Sim- simply because it, you've got to score goals over 38 games, and and you can't rely. You know, Zaha has never been a 25 goal a year player and apart from him you still struggle to see where they're going where the goals will come from and of course that was Palace beating Southampton who we've spoken at you know at length about having you know last season lost 9-0 at home to Leicester City and then the manager staying on and then they improved greatly and how he's got them ticking I mean they only lost 1-0 um, but what do you reckon to Southampton and their manager well the, the manager's proved that uh, over you know in two clubs that he's a very very good manager his record at RB Leipzig was was exceptional he took them into the uh, the Bundesliga had a very good first season in the Bundesliga second season he dropped down to sixth place and they decided to replace him with Nagelsmann which you, know, you, you can't argue with Nagelsmann's a genius but uh, the interesting thing after that 9-0 um, when obviously Tarzan Huttle was sitting there contemplating his navel he got a telephone call from Sir Alex Ferguson who said look don't worry about it it happens to us all just keep doing what you're doing you're doing the right things so you know d- despite what you may read in the newspapers and despite what you see from the nonsense written by fans below the line football's a very small family and they all know each other and by and large they all like each other so I thought that was excellent from Ferguson nothing to do with Manchester United decent guy and he kept Hazen Huddle's head up yeah I mean that's that first impression would be that's very professional of him but on the other hand yeah they all know each other uh, it is a small world as you say I mean I noticed that with um, we'll come to in a bit Tottenham against Everton Ancelotti and Mourinho quite clearly good friends with a lot of respect for each other uh, so that's Crystal Palace against Southampton but the big, the big game uh, the most ridiculous game was the champions of the Premier League against the champions of the championship obviously promoted Leeds were away at Liverpool we all thought it would be a baptism of fire for Liverpool, uh, for Leeds but in fact it was quite a ridiculous game in many ways just what you want to see though uh, 4-3 to Liverpool very late on Liverpool getting the winner but I thought Leeds looked incredible Jeff I, re- I mean they were a joy to watch they were playing very fast attacking free-flying football well that that's the thing I, th- I think that anyone who's who's seen any BL side know, knows what you're going to get you're going to get that level of energy that commitment they will run f- they will run further and faster than the opposition. They'll create space. The only relevant question was, could they do that? Could they take that from the championship into the Premier League? And, well, we found out, yeah, they can. And I thought Leeds was, was superb. They were equal to Liverpool in most areas. They had more possession, more touches, more passes, and they made more tackles. But here's the difference. Liverpool created more chances. Liverpool created 22 chances to Leeds 6. And that was the difference in the match. And that's what Bielsa focused on in his interviews after the match. Yeah, okay, you know, it was entertaining and you will have enjoyed it. But, you know, it's the sort of match coaches hate, to be quite honest. Coaches want coaches want control. They don't want... They don't want four three matches. Yeah, it was quite chaotic. It was three two at half time. Uh, Mo Salah scored two penalties and got himself a hat trick. Uh, the second, the last penalty coming on eighty eight minutes, being uh, the winner of the game. 
penalties to Liverpool at Anfield, not a surprise. No, you, you can't actually do a wry smile on, <laughs> on, on the radio. <laughs> Who would have thought that Liverpool would get penalties at Anfield when they need them? You know, I mean, it's obviously never happened before, as we know. I think they were both penalties, though, to be quite honest. But Mo Salah, 76 goals in 109 Premier League games. That's quite something, isn't it? He's not even a striker. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah, I think people forget that actually... Technically, he's not a striker, no, and that is an incredible return per game. Uh, yes, a hat-trick for Mo Salah, 4-3 to Liverpool against Leeds. I mean, I was watching it, and I, you know, one of the commentators or journalists afterwards said exactly what I was thinking. That It was almost crazy, this Bielsa way of playing. Look, they didn't care who they were playing against. They were swarming forward, forwards in droves, leave, leaving massive great gaps for Liverpool to, to nip round behind, and they didn't seem to care. And Bielsa did say before the game that we play our way, it doesn't matter who we're playing and you could tell that they had absolutely no fear of Liverpool at all yeah well if, if anyone can take their memory back to World Cups to that wonderful Chile side that you know I, I just wish they'd been able to to convert all their chances and, and win the World Cup because they was just wonderful and that was Bielsa football it's just like this madness happening in front of you there, there is a pattern and the pattern's in his head and he is he is a genius which is why he has disciples like Guardiola and Pochettino and, and, and all the rest of them it's going to be an awful lot of fun watching these this season because of the sort of history and the way you're i don't know conditioned we have joked on the radio show we do for 93.6 global radio every saturday we've joked oh no we don't want leads coming up dirty leads and all that'll be boring and actually you know my feeling towards leads changed instantly during that match and i think First of all, Bielsa is a refreshing change to the Premier League. He's going to be very interesting in interviews. But if Leeds carry on playing like that, I'm going to enjoy watching them. Apart from when they beat Tottenham, of course, which if they play like that, they inevitably will. Yeah, they they put almost every other side in the league to the sword playing playing that way. What what was a bit disappointing for me, again, reading the the fans' comments below the line, people having a go at, at Bielsa. And you know, whenever he does something well, there, there's always people who, who who try and find some some sort of dark reason for it or you know like the the, the so-called spygate thing he did something that he didn't know wasn't done in 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 england and because it was his idea to do it instead of the club paying the the 200,000 fine he paid it himself you know and that's the, that's the type of man he is and and for all those who and there are people which you can read in the newspaper going on about him sitting on this bucket and the reason he sits on the bucket is he got the ver- he has a very serious back condition which means that's the uh, the angle he must sit at otherwise it puts it yeah because if you look at that bucket it's a little bit higher and it's got a it's got a, a cushion on top of it it's, it's made to be exactly the right height for him to sit on to protect his back actually i did not know that i thought it was just it gave him the perfect view of the pitch that he needed because i mean you hear some great stories about him he is a maverick he is very different lives above a chip shop or something in near Leeds and apparently walks to work or gets a bus and people Leeds fans of course can't wait to help him um, stop and offer him a lift to the ground and goes no you're alright I'll walk yeah and because he, he didn't know the way he got someone from the Leeds groundsman department with, with um, one of the machines where they mark the lines out to put blue paint between the door of where he lived to, to the training ground so that he could walk along and follow that <laughs> 
So if anyone was in the Leeds area and they, they noticed this, this line of blue paint going along, that's what it's for. So Bielsa can find a way from his, his flat to the training ground. Yeah, he's a character. We're going to enjoy him and his team because they were brilliant against Liverpool. As you say, for managers, that, that sort of chaos is not a wanted thing. It's not desirable. But for fans, it was brilliant. For a neutral, that was a great opening day for uh, fans to watch a game like that. 4-3 to Liverpool in the end. But they did expose Liverpool a little bit. They did expose their, expose their weaknesses. How many times has somebody scored three goals against Liverpool at Anfield? That says it all, doesn't it? And as Martin, our Leeds United supporting friend, did point out, they actually scored five but had two disallowed. So I suppose you could say they had five in the back of the net at Anfield. A very rare event. Uh, the next couple of games I want to have a look at West Brom against Leicester and then Tottenham no, against Everton. But let's start with West Brom, another promoted team who will be in trouble I think this season. And Leicester, who I've got a weak spot for. I do like Leicester. It's good to see a team that aren't money bags up there in the top six. And they had a bit of a torrid time towards the end of last season and having been in the top four for all that time, ended up fifth. And I, I was a bit disappointed for them in a way. But they got off to winning ways, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It's it's uh, it's going to be a long season for West Brom as well, I think. And you know, you you can um, you can imagine that that they'll sort the defence out and the defensive part of the midfield. But again, who's going to score the goals that are going to keep them up? And that's going to be the problem they have. Leicester, well, they won four of their last seventeen matches last season. Uh, now. Why? Why was that the case? Injuries. They have very, very little depth. And only Deitch at Burnley and Nuno Espirito Santo at Wolves made fewer substitutions last season. Last season's major signing was Ayos Perez, who didn't really, really deliver on on what he'd done at Newcastle before that. The big problem was the injuries to uh, Ricardo Pereira, the right-back, who's superb, and Wilfred Ndidi. And the reason for the the fall-off for Leicester was quite simply that they only got Pereira, Madison, Yuri Tielemans and Ndidi on the pitch together half a dozen times last season. Now, if you can't get your best five players on the pitch more than that you're going to struggle especially when you have a, a squad of the the standard of of Leicester it's not deep and they don't have the reserves to come in and they've lost Chilwell the replacement they bought Castagna who, who played for Atalanta and looked very very good in the Champions League for Atalanta last season came and scored the goal the other day he looks a really really seriously good buy yeah I mean Leicester won away 3-0 at West Brom and I think three was about right although two of them were penalties both scored by Jamie Vardy off to a flying start again two penalties but both deserved and as you say Castagna got uh, got the first goal uh, it was nil-nil at half time but Leicester looking good and West Brom yeah going to struggle a little bit possibly one of our contenders to go down I'm afraid we've got to face it I've got to face it Tottenham nil Everton one I, I mean I, I suppose I could make the excuse that Lo Celso who's probably the only playmaker in that, in that squad at the moment was out Harry Winks I thought was dreadful um, I know a lot of Tottenham fans don't think he's up for the task. And I am going to give credit to uh, somebody on a um, football forum on Facebook, Glory Glory Tottenham Hotspur. One of the people on there said that even if Harry Winks was facing an open goal with a ball at his feet, he would pass it back to his own defence. It wasn't just him though, was it, Jeff? No, it, it, it was very like the, the, the West Ham performance. The, there was no energy. And, you know, you, you can't actually see energy, but, but you can see players clearly not putting that extra bit of effort in to make the tackle to win the ball to turn and go forwards and pass the ball forwards and Winks is just like well he's just a recreation of Wilshire isn't he 
you know, any excuse to make a backward pass and always turns the wrong way. Come, comes up against the defender on the halfway line. You can turn and go forwards or you can turn and go back and lay the ball off. He will always turn and lay the ball off going backwards. It's, no, he's, he, he should not be playing for a team with the ambition of Tottenham, definitely. It was, it was energy. It was, there was no creativity. It, it was just a very, very, it was, a, it was flat. Yeah, that's right. It, was, it wasn't that it was a very bad performance. It just wasn't anything at all. And Everton, Everton were more more ambitious in in the way they played. They won every ball in midfield, and they weren't as good as the newspaper reports have been saying afterwards. But to be fair, they didn't need to be. No, I mean you're right. There was no energy level there. It's not that Tottenham played badly. I don't think they played badly. They just didn't play enough. That desire wasn't there. It's the first game of the season. You'd think they'd be up for it. Now, of course, Mourinho, like many managers, I know you're not. Well, when I say not a fan of, you're sort of whatever an anti-fan is, of Mourinho. And he came up with the usual excuses. We haven't had time to train together. The lads, a lot of, them, a lot of the lads are away on international duty, etc. I did notice quite a few managers saying exactly the same thing. So it is the same for everybody. But there just wasn't that desire or push. I'm not sure if it was, if you can blame the tactics or the lack of training. It did look like some of the players were not quite match fit. But that would be an excuse almost. I just don't think that... It wasn't a, that they were bad. It's just that they didn't try hard enough for me. Deli Alley, somebody else I just want to mention, who I think is a very talented and creative player. And sometimes I feel that you get three or four really good games out of him a season because I don't think he was up for it either. Well, having your manager publicly criticise you doesn't help, does it? And, and Mourinho has started his usual and typical year three exit strategy already it's 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 them that they should have played better i prepared them better than this it's all them it's all them you you read the words that Mourinho says and it's all they weren't very good the they and you never never heard the best managers talking in that way it's always we win together we lose together but not not with Mourinho and yesterday in the newspapers talking about how how they didn't press no Mourinho team has ever pressed in history he's he's never taken the time and the effort to to have a proper pressing strategy it takes an awful lot of work the whole team has to do it together it you know it it has to be a, a combination of players pressing in certain areas and that they have to work through it time and time and time and time again and it, the players find it a very boring thing to do and the coaches it, for them it's a very boring thing to do but you look at liverpool and you look at the german sides who excel at it if you win the ball Back. You lose the ball, but you win it back near your opponent's penalty area. Well, what do you need a defence for? And that that's the principle. And no Mourinho team has ever done it. So when he says the things that he said yesterday, basically he's lying. He's just getting his excuses in now because he's expecting the big payoff just before Christmas, as usual. I, I hope you're wrong in a way because it'll be more disruption. And I hope he has got a plan beyond what we saw. As I say, I don't think it's because we were bad particularly. That It was almost like a friendly the way they played it. And it was... It was was like there wasn't something very very important at stake yeah as a manager when your when your side goes behind the opposition score you want your team to go right okay we're not having this and you want them to fight back Tottenham's worst period in that match was the 10 minutes after they conceded and if Everton had really put their foot in and really gone for it they could have got another goal then because Tottenham just looked shocked it's almost like players looking at each other saying what are we supposed to do I mean what do we do now and they they looked 
it wasn't that they were bad, they just weren't anything at all. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, that was one of the things that Mourinho said was exactly what you just said, that when you score a goal, I wanted my players' heads to go up and they went down. And they kind of did. It, they, they, they looked around as if they said, well, that's it then. What's the major problem? Because in defence, Eric Dyer wanting to play as a centre-back, I'm not quite sure that he did that very well. But for me, you know, we've got Harry Kane, we've got Son, we've got a couple of new players, you know, a defensive midfielder and a, and a defender who both played, and that's about all you can say, really. Nothing, they didn't do anything wrong, they didn't do anything spectacular. I mean, the goalkeeper Pickford did save Everton a couple of times. Tottenham did have a couple of decent shots, one from Deli Alley, by the way. But for me, that spark is missing. There is, a, as I say, maybe an Ericsson-sized hole there. I'm not suggesting we get Ericsson back, but something of that ilk. Because had there been an Ericsson on the pitch and we'd had a free kick or a corner, not so much a corner because he could never beat the first man, but if we'd had a free kick or somebody to ping the balls in accurately to Kane and Son, we would have possibly, possibly not deservedly, but won that game. Who can they get in? Well, I, I'd recommend that uh, that Tottenham buy um, Lo Celso because he's very good. <laughs> And and Steven Bergwijn, because he's excellent as well. Yeah, I mean, Bergwijn should have been on instead of Winks from the very start. He did come on late on, later on at least. And Lo Celso was injured. Not an excuse. Um, you know, you should be able to do it without him. But those two should be starting and maybe things will change. But that started Tottenham nil, Everton 1. Uh, and then last night, a couple of games as well. Let's start with Chelsea against away at Brighton. And the reason I want to start with that one is because when Brighton scored their, their goal... The Chelsea heads didn't go down. They went up the other end and scored almost immediately afterwards. But it did finish Brighton 1, Chelsea 3. I think a little bit flattering to Chelsea, that. Yeah, the, the result flattered Chelsea, definitely. And and the third goal came because Brighton overcommitted going forward to, to get the equaliser. I think if you looked at, at, at all the stats, a draw would have been a fair result. I think Lampard knows he got out of jail a bit there. He still has a problem. Kepa Arizabalaga is just not good enough. Jamie Carragher said no team ever won the league with a with an average goalkeeper well if Ariza Balaga was actually average Chelsea would be much better they'd have conceded 20 goals for your last season you know average is great as far as they're concerned and Ariza Balaga the goalkeeper is the problem last season Chelsea conceded eight and a half shots per match only Manchester City at 7.1 were better so it's not the defense at all you can forget that it's the goalkeeper they allowed 3.2 shots on target per match again only two teams Liverpool and City were better than that Kepa's save percentage 56.5 was the worst since records began not just last season since records began and they conceded in goals from open play they were sixth in the league it's the goalkeeper, and it is the 100% the goalkeeper. The defence isn't bad and wasn't bad last season. It's just... And that goal that that uh, Brighton got last night, I mean, it should never have gone in. It wasn't a fantastic strike. It was a sort of regulation save that a goalkeeper should make, and yet he didn't save it. It went underneath him. I don't, you know... He's, he's a huge, huge problem. I'd, I'd be amazed if he plays in the next match. I'd be amazed if he plays again. I mean, I really like the look of Brighton, I have to say. Certain people did, you know, Steve Kenton, our Arsenal fan there in um, London, who does the podcast with us when he's over in Spain, he tipped Brighton to go down last year. They almost did. There was a time when it looked like they could. I thought they looked very good last night, and I thought they were a joy to watch. As a, Again, as a neutral, they played some really attractive football. And the young lad, Tarek Lamptey, who they signed from Chelsea, uh, um, Graham Potter said he's fun to watch, isn't he, after the game. But I think a little bit more than that, I think he's a prospect. I agree with Potter, he's fun to watch, and, and he could be a prospect. The 
only issue is you have to look at the the end result of his runs how many times did that end result result in a, in a shot and that's the problem you know it, it's it's all very well looking exciting and and bombing down the wing but something good has to happen from it and Brighton's problems last season are, are going to be the problems again this season where do they get the goals from up until sort of 15 yards from from the Chelsea goal Brighton were very very good but how many shots did they have and how many shots on target did they have and where were the goals going to come from I mean it was a, a very bad goalkeeping error that allowed the goal and after that mm, well what was there you know even with uh, with Kepa Ariza Belaga coming out and flapping at crosses they still couldn't score and that's going to be the issue for Brighton they look very good they're incredibly well organised at the back and in central midfield but they've got to create more and score more they're well organised at the back they won't concede that many, I don't think. Not Certainly not three like they did last night. It was Chelsea after all. But they haven't got that striker. Glenn Murray, their main striker, 36 years old, is now on loan at Watford. They've got to replace him. I think Lamptey, yeah, I think he'd be a prospect if he can get the crosses in. I mean, he'd look good in the Tottenham, in the Tottenham team because we've had a lot of players who, who bombed down the wing with no end result. That seems to be something that we've created. Uh, but I, I, I don't fear for Brighton. I think they'll stay up. I think they'll stay up. They look like a Premier League team last night. And the last game of this round, because obviously two games were cancelled because Man City and Man United were sort of involved in European football and are allowed to, to start a bit later. The last game uh, that we're going to talk about from the, this round of uh, games was Sheffield United nil, Wolves 2. Two teams that kind of competing against each other for, for the same position last year. Wolves looked a lot better. They looked as streets ahead of Sheffield United for me, certainly in the first half. I think in the first half, yes. The second half, Sheffield United came back into it. I think they will both be challenged for the same positions this season maybe Wolves could could make the top four they, they look a very very good wow. side in my opinion and th- they played very very well uh, last night and in Connor Cody who made his uh, his debut for England last week they've got one of the best centre-backs in the country uh, C- Connor Cody actually has got has got something of a record in the last two Premier League seasons he's played in every minute of every match that is amazing I mean when he played for England and as you say made his debut and a lot of um, commentators and pundits, and, and you could actually hear it because there's no fans there. A lot of pundits were saying, listen to that, you know. And he was shouting instructions and encouraging his teammates before kickoff, during the game. And when they came back on for the second half, possibly a future England captain. I don't know, but he certainly hit very mature attitude trying to G up that England team. That, you know, I mean, he'd, have, ta- he'd have, to have to use the shotgun to G them up, really. But he did his best to, to get the England players riled up. Talking about shotgun, um, the, the end of the, of the stat that I just read out, he's in two Premier League seasons, he's played every minute of every match. But in 6,420 minutes, he's had no shots. <laughs> Has not taken a single shot, which even for a central defender is rare. But, but bizarrely, he is the holder of a record that his number of goals to shots is 100%. (laughs) Because in his last 132 matches, including the Europa League, he's had one shot and scored one goal. (laughs) I mean, it is unusual even for a central defender, but he is a very good player and he looks solid. Wolves and Sheffield United, unlike Tottenham and Arsenal, will not have Europa League football this season. That could play, especially with their narrower squads, could play to their advantage. Not sure Wolves will make top four. Who, in whose place will they be then? If they if they could make top four, somebody's got to drop out. Well, it's it's between Chelsea and Manchester United, isn't it? The answer to that question is if the signings for Chelsea work out, then they've got third. 
Um, so it, it's challenging Manchester United for fourth. We shall see, but Wolves look good. The only question mark I have is around the signing of Fabio Silva, this 18-year-old that they paid £40 million odd for from, is it Porto he's come from? £40 million pounds for a player, a young lad, 18 years old, who's only started nine football matches, nine professional football matches. That's an awful lot of money. But, you know, why did they, why did they buy him? Well, you have to have to look at who his agent is. Uh, you know, Jorge Mendes picks up £6 million pounds for this transfer. That's, that's a good business to get into, isn't it? Yeah, that's, you pick up a lad who's played nine professional games and make the six million for yourself out of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm selfless, selfless act there by Mendes. Uh, all, all for the glory of Wolves. Uh, right, let's have a look at what's coming up uh, this following week, uh, the second round of games. Everton against West Brom and Leeds against Fulham. So West Brom and Fulham, tough games again. Fulham, of course, played Leeds a couple of times, of course, last season in the Championship. Everton against West West Brom, I'm going to say Everton 2, West Brom 0. Yeah, it looks like 2-0 to Everton, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Leeds, Fulham, 3-0. Uh, I'm going to go for 2-1 for that one. I think Fulham will be come out fighting, but Leeds will be far too good for Fulham, yeah. And then finally, we get to have a look at Manchester United. Manchester United against Crystal Palace. I'm Obviously, I think that's a Man United win, and I am looking forward to, be it Man United or not be it Man United, who obviously also not your favourite team, I am looking forward to having a look at Donny van der Beek. Yeah, he, he was superb in that Ajax Champions League run, wasn't he? Um, he he's a very, very good buy. I mean, you, you, you can make a case that, and at the end of the season, many people will, that he was the best buy this summer. At the moment, I think Timo Werner and, and Havertz are ahead, but van der Beek's a very, very good player. Crystal Palace have a, have a habit of upsetting very big teams away from home. So, mm, 2-1. To Manchester United, I think. All right, well, just to be a bit different, I'll say 2 0. Uh, I think Man United, yeah, I think we both think Man United will be too too strong for Palace. And then, uh, Jeff, Arsenal, West Ham. Not often I say, come on, you Amers, but uh, Arsenal, West Ham. I mean, I fear for you in that game, not just because of the way Arsenal play, but because of the way you don't. Yeah. I, I'm going to give give Moyes a little bit of credit and I'm going to say he's got to be embarrassed by that performance last week and they can't be as bad again. I'm going to go for a draw. I do hope so. I do hope so. I'm going to go for 2-1 in that one. Uh, that's Arsenal-West Ham. This coming Sunday, Southampton against Tottenham. I mean, Southampton lost narrowly at Palace. Surprised. We were surprised by that. I don't think Tottenham can come away from that without winning. They've got to win that one. They certainly cannot lose their first two opening games. I'm going to go for Southampton 1, Tottenham 2. I'll go for the opposite. Southampton 2, Tottenham 1. Then Newcastle against Brighton. That, for me, has got draw written all over it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. A draw. And then what should be a very exciting game, Chelsea against Liverpool. That's at Chelsea. I mean, having watched Liverpool against Leeds, I mean, they could lose that. They could actually potentially lose that game. But again, I think that's another draw, a scoring draw. Oh, I don't know. The, the, the one area of, of weakness in the Chelsea defence was conceding goals on breakaway. And that's what Liverpool do. So... 2-1 to Liverpool. And then Leicester against Burnley. Should be a good game, that. Uh, Leicester against Burnley. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to say draw, but I'm going to go 2-1 Leicester. Yeah, I think that's that's a sensible choice, which is probably the reason why it won't, won't happen. It should be. It should be that, yes. Next Monday, Aston Villa against Sheffield United and Wolves against Man City. So having got off to a flying start, Wolves, then, then have a very difficult game. But Aston Villa, Sheffield United, 
Depends what happens with Grealish between now and then, I suppose. But I'm going to go for Villa nil, Sheffield United 1. Yeah, I I think Sheffield United will win. I'm not sure about 1-0, but I think Sheffield United will win, yeah. Wolves-Man City, oh... That could be anything, a 2-2 draw. Yeah, there will be goals, there will be goals. I mean, I'd, I'd like Wolves to win that, or certainly not lose it, but I'm going to go for Wolves 1, Man City 2. Uh, those are the upcoming games, and that's just about all we've got time for. But before that, as tradition has it, the question and answer to your triv question. Okay, what was unique about Millwall's performance in the 1973-74 season? And it might help you to write this down as you as, as you hear it. So Millwall played 42, won 14, drew 14, lost 14, goals for 51, goals against 51, points 42. Same as games played. A symmetrical set of statistics for the results. <laughs> for those pedants... <laughs> For those pedants and stat lovers, that's one for you. Uh, nice and symmetrical. Uh, no tidying up needed there. That's lovely. Uh, and probably never happened like that before. Very unusual. All right, that's all we've got time for. We'll be back next week. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. And that was, until next time, Hitting the Bar, the football podcast.